Before we get started with today's episode, I just want to say as a disclaimer that none of what I say in this podcast is actual advice. If you really feel like you have a mental health disorder or are dealing with anything personally, please seek out professional help. That is the best resource for everyone. And again, none of what I say in this podcast is anything professional or any type of advice. So thank you guys. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Sum of Life podcast. I'm your host, Liam Scully. And in today's episode, I had Abby Pinheiro on the show with me to discuss her challenges with not only anxiety, but also body dysmorphia. And in the episode, I said that I actually don't know a lot about body dysmorphia. But even in just this short conversation that I had with Abby, I learned a ton about body dysmorphia and how anxiety can manifest itself with body dysmorphia and just the difficulties that it presents. So her bringing up body dysmorphia was really a pleasant surprise almost because I got to learn a lot about it and her story too with dealing with it and struggling with it, but also getting over it, which was awesome to hear. So in this episode, we talked a lot about anxiety, body dysmorphia, her difficulties with both, her techniques and ways in which she coped with each of them and the place that she's in now. And we also talked about medication therapy, phone usage, intrusive thoughts, and a bunch of other things. And this episode and this conversation was extremely interesting to have. And again, it was awesome to have Abby on the show. And I hope you guys listen to the full episode because I always say every story matters. And every story is so completely different. Even though there are so many similarities, it's also extremely important to normalize situations and difficulties that we all deal with every day that can just result from anxiety or another mental health disorder. And it can just show how it plays into everyone's life. So I hope you guys listened to the full episode. Like I said, it was an awesome one, and I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. All right, so I have uh, Abby Pinheiro here with me today, and she's going to be discussing her story on anxiety, like the few other guests that I had on previously. And so, Abby, if you want to introduce yourself, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be able to talk about my journey with anxiety and hopefully help other people who are struggling with it. Yeah, of course. And like I always say, like every story always matters, always something new to learn. And like, when did you first notice any symptoms of anxiety, whether or not you knew it was anxiety or not? Well, anxiety has always been present in my life, whether it was to the extent of it being really bad or not. I had anxiety showing up with any public speaking. I think that was a really big problem for me in mm-hmm. school especially because I've I've moved around a lot and seven I've lived in seven different states went to different elementary schools middle schools and there's always anxiety with starting at a new school and meeting new people but it wasn't mm-hmm. very it wasn't bad for me so it was a healthy normal or healthy level of anxiety where it went away very shortly and then in college it started to manifest a little bit more intensely where I started to get physical symptoms of anxiety and it really started kind of with my journey of body dysmorphia, which was really my maybe senior year of high school to freshman year of college. And for those who don't know, body dysmorphia is a mental illness involving an obsessive focus on a perceived flaw in your appearance. And so I think the most common way people see body dysmorphia is like that image of a girl or a guy looking in the mirror and they see themselves as uh, overweight or not being the weight that they really want it to be. But for me, it was just really an obsessive way of looking at myself and wanting it to be better. So, and that could, that really showed up with comparison or social media 
And it got worse where I was just always looking at other girls, especially being in a sorority my freshman year, I was always around other people that I thought were better than me. So I started to deal with that because it just, it got too, too much for me to handle. And so I've gotten better through my journey of body dysmorphia, but it was really my first exposure towards the not very fun anxiety world that a lot of us live in. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And actually, I don't know that much about body dysmorphia, but it sounds kind of similar to like an anxiety disorder and the way you describe it, like obsessive thinking. Uh, would you say that it's like similar to like having OCD or something where you have like yeah, that obsessive thought I, and then sure. you, you have that compulsion to do something? Yeah, it's for sure about being obsessive with anything that's on either your weight or something you don't like about yourself, either your smile, your your eyes, your nose, uh, anything that you want to change is just becomes a big focus for you until you can change it, if you can or cannot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people still can't even get over body dysmorphia. A lot of people struggle with it all their lives. But something that's really helped me with overcoming uh, overcoming body dysmorphia is getting away from social media. I, especially my freshman year, I took a big breaks with social media, and and then after my freshman year, I'd even take a month or a month or two off of Instagram, where I would constantly scroll. And I think a lot of us in their twenties do that, or <laughs> just go on Instagram or oh, yeah, Twitter, sure. or Snapchat. Yeah, and it really helped me. I think I got to a point where I stopped comparing myself. And I've gotten to a good place with social media where I, maybe I still scroll every once in a while if I'm bored, but I'm not obsessive about it and I'm really conscious about it. And I know a lot of girls, especially younger girls, always look up to older girls on social media and don't understand, like a lot of girls get work done and they don't understand why they look so different. And so it it sucks for them. And I -hmm. think like talking about it and just, getting to a place where you can love yourself is really important. Yeah, that's definitely really important. And I was going to ask that later in the conversation, actually, but it's, it's good that you brought it up about like phone usage, especially Instagram, I would say, uh, whether it's for a guy or girl that has like body dysmorphia, like you're describing, that can be so struggling and challenging to like just scroll through your feed and just see a bunch of like male and female models all the time. That's probably really bad for your health. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, especially with so many people now are becoming influencers on Instagram. So their their mm-hmm. whole purpose is to be perfect and showcase that great or showcase a great lifestyle that they have or want to portray, which is <laughs> obviously not realistic all the time. Yeah, especially for most people, like obviously it might be different for them, uh, depending on a bunch of different circumstances. But a lot of the times too, like the image that they're portraying isn't actually reality which is always hard to keep in mind too especially when you're just scrolling through instagram just seeing it and just thinking to yourself like oh i wish i had that or like you always see too people like posting images of like these fancy cars and everything or whatever it may be it's always hard to like look at that and not not want it instantly just because it's just on your phone yeah and it's definitely those material possessions that we're all striving for in the 21st century Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah, we're all we're all working towards this life that we see on Instagram that we can achieve. Yeah, and I guess I just wanted to ask too. You were saying you were manifesting physical symptoms of anxiety. 
Was there anyone that stuck out the most to you? Well, when I started getting physical manifestations of anxiety, it progressively, I guess you could say, got worse throughout my college my college journey. It got to the point where I didn't understand why I had any kind of physical manifestation, particularly I get chest pains. And in my my sophomore year of college, I would just get these random chest pains. And I was like, that's so weird. Am I getting a heart attack or I had no idea. And so I would go see a doctor and, and they would ask me like, do you have any anxiety or stress in your life? And I didn't really connect the dots. I was like, no, I mean, I guess it's normal, a normal level of anxiety, but uh, it, I went on a heart monitor. It was nothing to do with my heart and it was anxiety that was the trigger of it. And I think that was a really eye-opening experience for me because I didn't understand how how big of anxiety or how big of a problem anxiety can be and how it really can take a toll without you even knowing. And so I did I started my journey through trying to get a handle on those physical manifestations. So trying to get rid of all of these manifestations of anxiety that I had was a long journey. I tried to do self-talk out loud where I was speaking to myself in the car like your anxiety is manageable like this is fine you're okay and I would do breathing techniques um, my favorite was breathing in for four holding for four and then letting out for eight seconds which was important because you're trying to get your body to not hyperventilate so exhaling is your kind of mechanism to trick your mind that you're okay mm-hmm. and so I delved into meditation and of course everyone talks about meditation as being like this great thing and I do I do love meditation but I couldn't find it as like a quick fix for myself and even during the pandemic when my anxiety got really bad I would try to do like a meditation in that moment where my anxiety was really bad and I was like this is not working for me (laughs) and so I I realized that meditation is great for you and it's great for anxiety but it's a long journey with it it's not something that's going to give you immediate results until you till you see the big picture of it yeah, well, actually, I've been reading this up so much in so many of my interviews. Actually, what caused my anxiety was mindfulness meditation. I was actually practicing meditation for a whole year for like 10 to 20 minutes a day. I'm not sure if you're aware of who, actually, I won't say the name, but uh, if you're aware of the Waking Up app, Mm-mm. it's just like a guided meditation app. And there's like a 50-day course. And then from there, you could just time yourself or you could just run through the course as many times as you want. And so like I went through the course like three times and then I just started doing it by myself. And I'm actually in a support group now with people who had difficulties with mindfulness meditation. I think mainly other types. I think like, I don't think loving kindness meditation is as popular as mindfulness meditation uh, with the difficulties that uh, result from them. But uh, long story short, meditating for that long and for doing like 10 to 20 minutes a day made me really hyper aware of like everything. And during the day I was like noting everything, noting all my thoughts. And that just triggered a lot of panic and panic attacks for me because then I became super hyper vigilant and everything was enhanced. Like my hearing was enhanced, my visuals, everything looked different. So I think the way, and my support group leader would say this too, obviously, is that meditation is really being advertised in a way that like one size fits all and it's really just not that's not reality unfortunately most things are not one size fit all 
And I think meditation falls into that realm as well. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting that you bring that up because not a lot of people talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it it is crazy how meditation is, is, most people perceive it as this great option for stress and anxiety when a lot of people start to get into it and don't don't see any of the results and i've done a lot of research into buddhism where they meditate all the time and seeing how people where that's kind of like part of their religion use meditation and i've learned that it's just it it, like you were saying it's not like a one-size-fit-all and people have this image of what they should be doing during meditation and it's it's so different not it's there's so many options for you there's different like you were saying there's kindness uh what was it yeah it's like i think it's called loving Loving kindness kindness. or or meta i think is the actual like buddhist name for it Mm -hmm. but like you were saying too and a lot of those buddhist practices i mean that was a couple thousand years ago so we're in like a completely different culture completely different side of the world right now so a lot of meditation that's going on today is likely to be way different than what they were doing a couple thousand years ago which is something that also gets brought up a lot in that support group that I'm in on how like it translated over to Western culture and society. And uh, it's, it's like pretty different and it doesn't, like I said, it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. And I want to get to a place where meditation is what a lot of people say that it brings to that, which is more awareness. I'm like, <laughs> it wasn't that great for you with that awareness, but. <laughs> um, well, definitely a little bit of mindful. awareness is really good. Yeah, a little bit of awareness, a moderate amount. Yeah. And I'm and mindfulness also too played a part in my anxiety journey because I also, along with body dysmorphia, had generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. And I still do. <laughs> it's something yeah. I still um am facing and struggling with. And being mindful of my thoughts was something that really helped me because GAD or generalized anxiety disorder is this fear that you create for yourself in a lot of moments or any moment and it would just be always present with me either if I was at home or if I was driving if I was in the uber even just like a week ago I was in the car and I kept thinking of which car was going to hit me or this is the truck would pass by and be like this is it like this is the end for me and so being mindful of my thoughts and understanding like that my thoughts these crazy thoughts that I have or these really uh, exaggerated thoughts aren't, aren't useful and aren't true. And the Mm -hmm. likelihood of any of these events happening is so slim. Mm -hmm. And that is also a part of CBT therapy, which I have never gotten professional help with CBT therapy, but I have, I've read about it and done a lot of research with it where I've like managed my where I was able to incorporate it into my, my routine. So that, that also looked like uh, understanding my thoughts, writing them down. Uh, uh, one really helpful tip that I read was every time that something that you were fearful of, that you were going through, say like you were really fearful of presentation. So every time you had a presentation and it went well, you would write it down. And like it was a physical, physical step for you, your body remembers it more. And so it's kind of showing you or proving to yourself that that likelihood of you having a terrible presentation is not true. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah. the likelihood of a negative experience or something you worry about happening is so slim. So CBT was really trying to get yourself to 
remind yourself that those aren't true. That's like a 1% chance or, you know, depending on how crazy it is, it could be a 0% chance. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. A lot of your intrusive thoughts definitely don't actualize in reality. And a lot of times it's easy to forget that when you're caught in like thought loops of just intrusive thoughts one after another. But yeah, uh, back to CBT though, because I'm actually, I've been doing CBT now for a couple months too, alongside with the therapist. But did you ever do any type of like exposure? Like you're saying like with presentations, did you ever do, or like, did you focus mainly on techniques that, that CBT gives you? Or? Well, yeah, I know CBT really does a lot with exposure. I never did too much with it where I saw like a huge improvement. I, the things that I did take away from it was the setting goals and kind of visualizing where you wanted to go and where you wanted to be with your health journey. I did a lot of like self-discovery and identifying like the problems that I would have and those negative thought patterns. So when I did experience them, I could understand like those aren't, you know, those, that's a negative thought and you can change your way of thinking Mm -hmm. and journaling. Journaling was also a big part of just identifying those negative thought patterns. But what was, what was your journey with exposure? Because I really would want to do more of that, but I didn't know how to incorporate it too much since I didn't have a professional. Yeah. So, well, have you ever seen a therapist before? Yes. For like an extended not, period? Not for CBT. I, I did more of it in my kind of like freshman to sophomore year and throughout that. And I did it more for my body dysmorphia and then got to a good place. And then I started getting really bad generalized anxiety disorder mm-hmm. and didn't go back because I thought I had the tools to kind of navigate it. But obviously that's not always the best track of mine because I'm still struggling with anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I would always recommend a therapist, I guess. Uh, it just depends on finding the right one. Uh, that's extremely important to help guide you along the right journey and path that uh, you should be on and where like they really care about you. But yeah, of course. I think my experience with exposure, well, I kind of created like a safety net almost because I was kind of scared to, I guess I got caught in that vicious cycle where I was scared of the next panic attack and anywhere, any type of environment or situation that had previously caused a panic attack, I would look to avoid it. Like my instant reaction to maybe my friends asking if they want to go to the city or something, obviously before the pandemic would have been no like right away, just because I would have been out of my comfort zone, like home, near friends, near family, uh, whatever it may be. Exposure therapy for me then, like in that situation would have been to actually just go to the city and like experience like that slight or moderate uh, feeling of anxiety. And then once I just settle into it, I'm kind of teaching myself that it wasn't a dangerous situation given that if like everything went fine, like if I just enjoyed the time or tried to enjoy the time with my friends in the city or whatever, then I could teach my brain that going to the city was something safe and not something to be scared about. But it just goes with a lot of things, you know? A lot of people have trouble like even drinking coffee because it's caffeinated and that can trigger some anxiety. So even just some exposure therapy for that would just be like drinking one shot of espresso like in the morning which is, I think, on the relative, relatively small side of like caffeine. I think it's like 60 milligrams or something. But yeah, just like slowly working yourself back up to like a new normal, I should say. I don't want to say like going back to like your old ways because I, I think you're stronger after doing exposure therapy. But yeah, just doing stuff like that. Yeah, and that kind of reminds me of 
that reminds me of a lot of people struggle with driving when they have really bad anxiety. If they have anxiety attacks, they fear going in the car because they, they don't want that to happen to them mm-hmm. while they're driving. And yeah, I would, I would, I think I will want to do like professional help with CBT because it's always something I read that is the number one recommendation for people with generalized anxiety disorder, especially mm-hmm. people with who have really big fears like me. So mine is, I, I'm trying to think of how I would use exposure therapy with like a fear, um, maybe not now because of the pandemic, but like a fear of getting into the Uber. Yeah. Well, I don't know how, how safe that would be in certain, like say like my fear of getting u- into an Uber at night. Mm-hmm. Like alone or something. Um, yeah, alone. <laughs> that, I mean, that's still like, to me, like even exposure therapy with going into an Uber seems so extreme like yeah. putting myself into like potentially what I find scary situations mm-hmm. um yeah so I think like what finding a healthy medium <laughs> I think what a and I don't want to say like what a professional would say because I'm not one yet but I think what <laughs> I, th- I think what a professional would say is get that uber for a drive that's only like two minutes away so you could have them pick you up and then drop you off at like the next like two blocks or something and make sure Maybe that you like, have like your phone. Why you walk? Yeah, right? <laughs> like it's for my anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I'm practicing exposure therapy. <laughs> yeah, but I think those, and I always, I always thought those were definitely harder fears to get over because they have some truth to them, even though it's, I'm sure it's very slim, still something could happen with like an Uber or something. Whereas like uh, being scared that the sky is going to fall on you is completely irrational uh so but yeah um no go ahead um also i think as a girl i've had this conversation so many times with uh girlfriends of mine is they're like along with my fear of ubers is just being alone or being in a situation that just seems scary or like i'm always i'll be running on a trail and i'll bring my like pepper spray and so a lot of times I've kind of gotten to a better place where I can go run on a trail, but it used to be where like, I'm not going to go run because of that fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's also like my anxiety day to day is like rule because of just me being a girl. So it's yeah. always, it's always difficult. Yeah, no, and that I've definitely heard that before too. And I hate to even say it, but like, I, like someone like, uh, like me, like I don't even think about that when I go on a hike. And so I can't imagine like, just an, an added fear when even just going for like a run or something. Yeah. And I think, I mean, a lot of the times I think these fears, I mean, they, they are, they have some truth to them, but they are irrational because I think the media, like my, the media, like I will see is like, oh, like all these bad things happening to girls or like mm-hmm. these stories that girls tell each other, like be careful or whatever. And again, like it's taking away from like, uh, like how happy or how well, like, experience can go for you like going out and doing something for yourself like going on a hike or a run should be like a great experience and understanding like being able to understand that not everything is <laughs> the end-all be-all and having parameters to set your mind against um, for safety and being rational is, is yeah. helpful mm-hmm. yeah for sure I guess well how long were you seeing your previous therapist for um I would say close to close to like maybe nine or ten months almost a year okay and that was pretty consistent like week after week or every couple weeks every couple weeks 
And did they ever talk about medication with you? Uh, not, not at the time when I was, when I was going through that form of my anxiety and those physical manifestations related to more of my body dysmorphia, it wasn't, I didn't see as medication being helpful for me. Uh, now I'm actually am on medication for anxiety and that's mostly because of the pandemic and my generalized anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, and that has made such a huge difference for me, although it did take a few months to like really see a difference. I think when I started my medication because of the pandemic, because I already was at a high level of anxiety and the pandemic just kind of skyrocketed it. <laughs> and yeah, my physical manifestations. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of it's, I'm, it's understandable, definitely, but yeah, definitely stressful times <laughs> right now. Yeah. And, and so I did get a lot of anxiety attacks and my like my weirdest most unique physical manifestation of anxiety was my like body spasming and my it would be like my arms or like my back and I think it's I think it's called anxiety twitching but like for like mm -hmm. a random times I I don't know if you it kind of looks like you're shivering or it's like you're jerking like you like something is no, <laughs> just scaring I, you yeah completely normal actually that's very common in uh, the support group that I was talking about earlier, a lot of people, whether from meditation, anxiety, or both, uh, a lot of them get convulsions where their body just uncontrollably shakes or whatever, and they just have to wait it out for however long, like 10 to 15 minutes or something. Yeah. And I had no idea about it beforehand because I would get like, sometimes I would shake if I had like anxiety, but this was like where it was always present. Like I always, my body was always like my arm would move or my back would move and that's when I was like wow like anxiety really just takes a toll on you yeah. and um that was just one of the symptoms another one was I, I still have the chest pains that I had previously then it started to be nausea and dizziness and uh, not being able to feel like I could breathe or having trouble swallowing like I would not want to eat alone because I would assume <laughs> I would start choking and mm -hmm. that's when I, I when it became to the point where it was always always present with me it wasn't like these episodes I decided to do medications which was a big journey from where I was when I did have therapy because I didn't feel like I needed it but because of the pandemic it got to a point where it was like it's just too debilitating mm-hmm and if you're com comfortable with answering, uh, what medication are you on? So the anxiety medication that I am on is escitalopram or oh, okay, so Lexapro. Yeah, and this one's the one I'm on is an antidepressant as well. So it's not just mm -hmm. for anxiety. Yeah, it's an um, SSRI. Yes, you're right. Exactly. That was the first one that I was prescribed actually, and because I was like rebellious, resistant to wanting to experience any type of change that I thought when I was like, I think I got prescribed this when I was 18 or 19 in college. Uh, so I never took it. I still have all 30 of the pills in there. <laughs> you got it. But I'm currently on a, an SSRI right now. I'm on Zoloft. So I've been taking that for about nine mm -hmm. months. And did you, was it, how helpful was it for you? Definitely really helpful, especially in the early stages of my panic attacks. It kind of gave me the courage to do some of that exposure therapy and to get over some of my thoughts definitely helped. It almost made like a buffer between how fast the anxiety would come on 
and like the physical symptoms. So like pretty much all my panic attacks would start with and peak with like dissociating, like just completely feeling depersonalized, like derealization, obviously very frightening things. And what that medication did for me was it created, like I said, that buffer to where like an anxious thought came on. And instead of getting those physical symptoms right away, it gave me some time to recognize that it was just anxiety and it would definitely help in situations like that and get me to like a point where I'm at now, thankfully. Yeah, that's great. And I know when I, I think that I did also have a big fear of going on medication because I had this stubborn belief that I like I could conquer it. <laughs> like my, yeah, yeah I, I could too. handle it. Yeah. But it has been so helpful for me, especially like with the pandemic. I got to a point where it was like I was just not able to socialize or function. I wanted to like stay in bed and uh, mm-hmm. to get away from like the just like vertigo or like the dizziness I would get from my anxiety. And so now I'm able to, I mean, the pandemic is still fearful and or scary. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm at a place where it's manageable, which is, which is amazing. Yeah, I think uh, obviously every medication is different for everyone. I like the way you react to it. But for the most part, I 100% think at certain points, maybe in everyone's life that they could use something like an antidepressant or SSRI to get through some things, especially something as crazy as a pandemic. Yeah, I wouldn't say that medication is the only answer. I would definitely recommend it with therapy or mm-hmm. doing more self-reflection because they're not going to last forever. So being able to understand and get over your anxieties just by yourself is going to help you in the end. Yeah, I actually just said in a, one of my other recent interviews, uh, I'm sure you're aware of like Xanax too being a anti-anxiety medication. Whereas like SSRIs are more for like long-term, like obviously the daily dose that you take, uh, it's supposed to build Mm -hmm. up, just produce like serotonin in your brain. But Xanax is like an anxiety killer or some type of medication like that, like a benzodiazepine where you take it and then like 15, 20 minutes later, you pretty much completely rid of your anxiety. But I I said like in the beginning stages of like, if if I'm looking back now, if I had taken a Xanax every time I felt a panic attack, I'd be in the same situation that I was in nine months ago right now, just because I'd be so dependent upon taking that medication just to get me out of any difficult situation that I was dealing with. So like you said, I think it's extremely important to actually experience those situations so that you understand like what your own anxiety is, how to get through it, what helps, what doesn't help. I think all that is extremely important. Yeah, and I, if if I was taking Xanax, I'd probably be like popping pills, like, yeah. um, like all the time. <laughs> so I definitely with an SS. What is it? SSRI. Yeah. SSRI. Yeah. So serotonin. Yeah, with an a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. That's the full name. Okay. Okay. So with an SSRI, it does take, of course, longer for your body to adjust to it. But mm-hmm. even after a month. I just saw like such a big difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I forget how long it takes for it to like kick yeah, in. Yeah, usually I think you can see like four to six weeks or four to eight weeks. Yeah, yeah. So now I think I've been on it for uh, maybe five months. Um, mm-hmm. It's even better than you know that one month difference. So it is like a very a commitment <laughs> to yeah. when you're on an SSRI. Um, but helpful. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And do you still? 
experience anxiety while on that medication? I do not. Um, I mean, this is more with my generalized anxiety disorder still coming into play because I still have just a fear of fear of things all the time or like creating crazy scenarios in my head. But I don't see those physical manifestations anymore, which is oh, that's awesome. now it's manageable. So I can go throughout my day and I'm not like getting chest pains or dizziness. And mm-hmm. that's helpful. And so I can still work on myself, but not like having those difficult, difficult, what would you say? Blocks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> difficult blocks to self-help. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, I actually also said like the same thing in that same interview is that I like SSRIs because you can still feel like some type of anxiety to where you're not like popping Xanax to completely (laughs) get rid of it. And it just kind of gives you more courage to fight through when you're doing like exposure therapy, for example. Yeah. So it makes it more manageable for you. Yeah, exactly. But that's awesome. It's helping for you. I think during the pandemic, actually, there was a shortage on my medication because of how many people... (laughs) are actually experiencing mental health issues right now but like what specifically about the pandemic other than obviously it being scary and like how how much it's running rampant in the U.S. right now but is there anything other than that in specific that's like making you scared about it or giving you like trigger yeah just like triggering uh so triggers really when I first when the pandemic really hit and I was at home in the beginning of it because I went for spring I was on my spring break and my college decided that we were all going to stay home so I was home and my biggest fear and this was I was able to realize this because uh, actually because of mindfulness meditation because I was paying attention to my thoughts Mm -hmm. I was triggered by the fear of me going out and I think this is obviously common me going out getting sick unknowingly and bringing it back to my family especially my parents Mm-hmm. So I had a really big, I just didn't want to leave the house. <laughs> so yeah. I, I was always trying to justify like, why would I, you know, like I didn't want to do it, help with any like groceries or didn't want my sister to leave the house or just kind of like us self-contained. And it was, I think it was a whole family ordeal because we were one of those families that try to like stock up on canned goods mm-hmm. <laughs> in case Toilet we were paper. Yeah, the toilet paper. <laughs> we would show up at the groceries or the grocery store like right when it opened and yeah. be met with all the, all the other people. Um, mm-hmm. In in kind of I'm in like rural, more of a rural Maryland, so mm-hmm. we we were all stocking up. I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think everyone was obviously freaking out, and for good reason because we had no idea, and we obviously still don't know a lot about it. And I think that also plays a huge factor into a lot of people's mental health is just that scary feeling of like the unknown. No one knows when this is going to be over. We don't know like the long-term effects of this uh, virus. So a lot of things definitely can be triggering for everyone right now. Yeah. Yeah. And anxiety is just about being scared of the unknown, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever the situation is, or not even when there's a pandemic which is showing up with me with Gad because I don't know what will happen. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's, it's, it's crazy, but I try to deal with the pandemic and my anxiety coming along with that and coming along with other 
problems that I may have not pandemic related just by being aware of my thoughts and journaling if like writing down if my thoughts are being crazy <laughs> and <laughs> saying out loud to myself like that's not you know Abby that's that's not gonna happen like yeah. you're being crazy mm-hmm. yeah I'm trying to think of like other what else do I do techniques oh also like another like technique that helps me like with my anxiety is understanding that I'm a perfectionist like mm-hmm. being aware of that I want things to be a certain way. Um, I think that kind of, you know, those people who have OCD, maybe I do have it too, <laughs> um, <laughs> who, who have OCDs about that obsession, like we were saying before, and being a certain way. So if I'm a perfectionist in my work or wanting it to be the way I see it or wanting things to go perfect, like for me, if it's public speaking or giving a meeting, I get anxiety because I don't want it to be any other than perfect. And so mm-hmm. if I say to myself, like, it's like, that's just me being a perfectionist. Like it's not going to be, it's not going to be the end of the world if you make a mistake and no one's judging you. If you are, if you like do make a mistake. And I actually read, I think it was, I, I don't know where, where the source was from, but it was a study where there was people or students who went into a classroom and one professor was like perfect didn't make any mistakes and there was another professor that was more relatable made mistakes made jokes and they got like student feedback and the students of course liked the professor that made mistakes more because Mm -hmm. they saw him as just being more like them and so I think it's also more entertaining as a student maybe um than listening to a presentation that's like monotone or perfect um so you know people like mistakes (laughs) yeah no that's a good point and that's a very interesting study that you brought up and a lot of the times too like you said when you make mistakes odds are the only person in the world thinking about it is just yourself and it's obviously hard to remember but (laughs) it's so true it's like you make some mistake that in a presentation for example that you've been thinking about all day like oh my god what is the whole class thinking odds are it's just you thinking about that one little mistake that you made. Yeah. And it's so funny because now that I have that outlook, I'm even more aware of people who make mistakes because <laughs> I'm like, well, they, they made a mistake and probably no one cares, but I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I did the same thing. Like if someone does something that I would think about if I were that person, but yeah. I think that's only for people who are really particular. Um, yeah so but, for anyone that's working on anxiety they, they see the, <laughs> the worries that they think about in other yeah. people but no, exactly. not the norm <laughs> <laughs> no well I guess I just wanted to ask too because I think we're coming up on like 45 minutes or close to that as far as your journey has been on a scale of like one to ten with ten being the best during that whole time period of like having anxiety, where would you say you're at right now? With, okay, so if- Oh, you can include a body dysmorphia too. And you could separate them if you want. So right now, I feel like I'm, it kind of (laughs) depends. Like day to day, Mm -hmm. I think anxiety is very situational, especially for me. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm at home because of the pandemic and there's not a lot of- other things worry me like I'm fine like you know 10 10 out of 10 you know I'm chilling and (laughs) (laughs) if I'm out if 
I, one of my worries if I'm in the car, if I'm in the city or in a town, if I'm out shopping, my, my anxiety because of the pandemic or my anxiety because of GAD, then it's probably, I think it's manageable because of my SSRI, it's maybe five, it's managed. <laughs> but when the pandemic started, it was probably like a one, zero. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, yeah. Bottom, I was, I mean, in my experience, that was the worst that I had been. So mm-hmm. I had, I just didn't, yeah, it was just in my journey of that, it was the worst. When I had body dysmorphia, it was more manageable, maybe like three or four, worked on it, was it at a good place? And, you know, I think it's interesting how anxiety can just always show up, you know, you can deal with it and something else can pop up. So yeah, taking the tools that you take from therapy or whatever you read and just remembering them, cataloging them or taking notes of them is always helpful. Yeah. And I, I love your story like so many others, because like you said, you were at like a three and then you got went back to a one because of the pandemic or like a three or a four. And then uh, now you're at like a five. And then when you're home, you're at a 10. Uh, So even though there are like setbacks along the way and everything as a whole and in general, and you don't have to agree with me, but it does get better if you just work at it. Like you said, like using techniques, therapy, things you read, it's so easy to get discouraged, but if you're working at it, it, it definitely gets better. Yeah, for sure. And I do, I do agree with you. And my breathing techniques I know people even incorporate like breathing kind of in their routine in the morning or at night Mm -hmm. and there's different I know people like yoga uses breathing all the time they incorporate it so I think what I love the most in my anxiety journey is being mindful of my thoughts being just having even like being able to work on myself like working on personal development and setting goals for myself and where I want to be helps me to keep working towards or keep keep working on my anxiety really. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if the same goes for you, but especially after like beating like an anxiety attack or not necessarily beating it, but getting over one, that could also be extremely encouraging to do something similar with the next one that comes and like experience just builds upon each other. So then it gets easier each time, hopefully at least. But yeah, that's really important too. Yeah, I agree. For sure. It's when, especially when you have your first anxiety attack, it kind of, you don't know how to deal with it or handle it, but you know, you get, you get through them and mm-hmm. you, when you get the tools to handle them, you, you know that you're going to be okay. Yeah. And it's, it, they're always temporary too. And that's always something that's good to know about them. Uh, so yeah, I guess that kind of brings us to the end. If you want to give, any of your information, like your email or Instagram, whatever you're free with. Um, not whatever you're free with. What did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> whatever you're whatever, comfortable um, with. Yeah, yeah whatever yeah, you're yeah. comfortable with giving out, <laughs> you can list those if you want. Yeah. So I'm always open to talking about anxiety or giving advice or being uh, being helpful in any way. And I think it's always great to have an open discussion with anyone who is struggling with the same thing that you are give advice to each other so I mean I'm always available through my Instagram which is my first and last name Abby Pinero which is A-B-B-Y-P-I-N-E-Y-R-O and it's the same with my email it's just add gmail at the end yeah and I'll put both of those in the show notes below so if you guys have any questions for her 
And I love doing these stories because everyone is so different and it's almost like remarkable in a way how different anxiety can be for so many people. Uh, symptoms, everything. Mm-hmm. It is pretty insane. But, um, but yeah, thanks a lot, Abby, for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again. It was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. And of course, feel free to reach out to me. And I'm always open for questions or conversations. Yeah, perfect. Thanks again. Well, thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I really appreciate it. And if you want to learn more or find out more about me and what I'm doing, you can go to my website at someoflife.org. There you can click on the contact page and find my email, which is liamscully at someoflife.org. Or you can just find my Twitter handle, which is at someolifepodcast. Also on my website, you can find my Patreon page. And there you can find a $1, $2, and $5 tier. Each of those are a per episode basis. So basically, whenever I release an episode, you can pay me $1, $2, or $5 dollars obviously i would appreciate any amount and i don't expect you guys to do it right away hopefully you gain my trust and my support and what i'm doing for the show and maybe you guys will be able to financially support me in the future and again i would appreciate that so much also just wanted to give a huge shout out to my two really good friends trip russo and brian turcott trip russo is my graphic designer he did all the designs for my podcast and brian turcott mixes my beats and audio for my intro and outro especially just want to say thank you to those guys and you can find out more information for them on my website as well and lastly i just want to say that i have a youtube channel too that's doing only love and kindness meditations and there you can find 10 minute guided loving kindness meditations that youtube channel is called sum of life also but yeah thank you guys again for listening and we'll talk to you guys next time see ya